certainly good to be back with you this evening. Appreciate being able to be here and each of you. I'm so happy to get to meet Brother Ken. I appreciate that good prayer. Glad to get to meet his good wife. I'm always thankful to get to meet faithful gospel preachers uh, out and about and around, especially in areas close to where I happen to be. This evening, if you would, open your Bibles to Job. We're going to talk a little bit about him. Job, to me, is one of the most fascinating people that we read about in the Old Testament. When we think of Job, of course, what we normally think of is his patience. Job is known for his patience. When uh, the half-brother of Jesus declared this, he said, James 5 verse 11, he said, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and tender of mercy. He was confident that the people of his day knew who Job was. He didn't have to give the detailed facts of who Job was. He simply had to mention the man's name and they would have understood exactly of whom he was speaking. After all, Job is synonymous with patience, isn't he? But how did Job come to be a man known as a patient man? When we think of patience, how is it that we automatically think of Job? Well, I believe the very first chapter of James gives us a little insight into why that he would even write about this great man. He said, James 1, 2 through 3, He said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now the word worketh here is translated from a Greek word that means to bring about or to produce. In other words, the trying of faith is what brings about or what produces patience. In Job's case and in our case, the patience uh, that we have and the patience that he had was produced by trial, the trying of his faith. Now I do not believe the trial of Job's faith could have been much greater. The only thing that God withheld from the hand of Satan was the very life of Job, Job 2 verse 6. And there's very little doubt, at least in my mind, that Satan stopped just an eyelash short of murdering the great man. No doubt about it. And because of Job's great faith, Job had great trials. Because of the great trials, great patience was produced. Because great patience was produced, the reputation of Job was great. And it was all because of his faithfulness to God. If you would please, let's notice Job 1. We're going to look at the first five verses of this chapter. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also with 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household. 
so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now you recall when Satan stole Job's cattle and he stole his camels and he scorched his sheep, and then he slaughtered his servants, he slew his children. What did Job do? Job rent his mantle, he shaved his head, he fell down upon the ground, and he worshipped God, Job 1.20, rather than cursing God like he said he would. Verse 21. Even after Satan had afflicted this man with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his foot, and he insulted him through his wife, Job remained steadfast, never wavering in his faith. This man kept his faith. That's what I've entitled this sermon tonight. He kept his faith. He lost everything except for his faith. Satan could take his cattle. He could take his camels. He could take his children. But he could not steal his confidence. He could take his asses, but not his assurance. He could take his things but not his trust. He could take his support of his friends, but not the substance of his faith. Satan couldn't take those things. Job passed every single trial which Satan placed in front of him, and he did it because of a strong faith. I want us to examine those trials tonight. I want us to look, at least for a moment, at a section of Job's life, and I want us to learn some things. I want us to make some application from these great lessons preserved for us by the Holy Spirit. I want us to begin tonight with the trials of his friends. That's my first point. Job's friends attacked his purity. They attacked his purity, didn't they? Satan attacks our purity often by people who we think are our friends. People who we believe are our friends. Our supposed friends may tempt us to do things, may encourage us to do things that stands in direct opposition to what God believes. Speaking with a young man today, and I told him, I said, Satan operates in the world today through other people, through encouraging us. I said, People want to feel good about themselves, so when they engage in sinful activity or they engage in something that is wrong, they want other people to do that as well, so they think it's okay. Well, almost everybody does it. It must be okay. All the while knowing in the back of our minds or the back of their minds that that's not the case. But they attack this man's purity. The very first verse in the account of Job's life informs us of a few things. Job was upright, he feared God, and he eschewed evil. He was a good man. He was not going to involve himself in sin. Have you ever wondered why Satan did not attack Job through the lust of the eyes or the lust of the flesh like he did some of the other great men that we read about in the Bible? 
That's how he attacked David on one occasion. That's how he attacked Joseph on another occasion. Obviously, David fell into that trap and he fell from God's grace for a while and and he sinned against God and himself and Bathsheba and Uriah. But I believe that he had attacked Job in that manner at other times. I think it's just simply not recorded for us in this account, but I think he certainly incorporated that. I believe his description tells us that Job passed the purity test. He passed that test. He did not give in to that sin. He revered God. He was righteous. He resisted sin and the devil. And he wanted to live like God wanted him to live. And he guarded his heart against lust and the other sins of the flesh. Later in the book, Job declared this. Notice Job 31 verse 1. He said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? He would again say, if my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another. Job 3, 9 through 12. And let others bow down over her, for that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment, for that would be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. I think Job protected himself against those things. I believe that Satan knew all about Job. I think he wanted to attack Job where he thought he was the weakest. Because let me tell you, Satan is is an extremely intelligent being. Satan is smart. Satan can understand people. He knows where to strike. He, He seeks out the weaknesses and he attacks those first. See, like Job, we must be aware that Satan will attack us in the same ways, right? 1 Peter 2, verse 11, we're told that we are to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I think Job did that. I think he abstained from those things. We must, Paul said, deny ungodliness. Titus 2, verse 12, deny ungodliness, but we are to live soberly righteously and godly in this present world. That sounds very similar to what he told Timothy, right? Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness. And those other godly qualities, it's not enough just to get away from sin. We have to pursue righteousness. I believe that's what Job did. And I think as we read this account of his life, we can be certain that that is how he lived. We must make a covenant with our eyes, right? Not to look on another, to lust after them, Matthew 5, 28. I believe Job did that. But Job's friends, the trial of his friends, they attacked his purity. But they also simply brought about persecution. Persecution. Persecution from any source is a terrible thing. But especially when it comes from those of our own household, Matthew 10.36. I want us to notice, Job suffered at the hand of his best friend, his wife. She encouraged him to curse God and die, chapter 2, verse 9. That must have been one of the most discouraging moments in Job's life. Think about it, he had lost his wealth, he had lost his children, 
and his wife encouraged him to curse God and die. His helpmate was helping someone else. Satan. Had to have been discouraging. Do you think maybe that's why Satan allowed her to survive? He took everyone else in his family. Maybe he kept her there so he could use her. He also lost the support of his other friends. Those great friends that we read about that came to mourn with Job over his losses. They were convinced that he was cursed by God and that what was happening to him needed to happen to him and that he refused to confess. Eliphaz explained that no man ever perished being innocent. He believed that Job was reaping exactly what he had sown. Job 4, 7-8. through 8. What about his other friend, Bildab? He explained that God does not pervert justice and that it was God's way of punishing Job by casting his children aside because they too were sinners, according to this friend, Job 8, 3-4. Another of his friends, Zophar, informed Job that, that God had actually not exacted all that He should have exacted from Job and that He really should have been punished more. Job 11, 3-6. But throughout this trial of these great friends of His, His faith continued. It never wavered. He was falsely accused by those closest to Him, but He kept believing and trusting in God. You know, Satan still uses that very technique on people today. Satan has three ways of causing problems, right? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Now within each of those, there's a multitude of, of ways in which he can incorporate those avenues. But really, sin has been around since almost the beginning of time, and not a whole lot has changed. And so we ought to be wise to his, his techniques at this point. Paul declared this. He said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. And we must persevere, just like Job, because persecution is coming. Now hopefully it never comes in the ways of which Job was persecuted. Hopefully we never lose our families and, and we, we won't lose our health and to the point where all we are is just simply existing and living a miserable life. I hope nothing like that ever happens to us, but we will see persecution in this life if we're faithful. Jesus encouraged us too, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. He said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice, and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In other words, he says, don't feel like you're the only one in the world that has ever been persecuted. That was part of the great sermon that Stephen preached, wasn't it? That cost him his life. He said, he told those Jews, he said, you're stiff-necked, you're stubborn. You tell me which of the prophets you didn't persecute. Which of the prophets didn't you kill? And you're doing the same thing today. We must never allow these temptations that Satan brings about us to cause us to move away from our faith, Acts 20, 24. But as we look at Job and we notice the great things that he was able to endure and keep his faith intact, we notice that he 
endured trial by friend. But that wasn't successful, was it? They couldn't knock him off, of, off his track. They couldn't get him to admit that he was sinful and that God was punishing him. He knew he hadn't done anything wrong. Now, he didn't understand what was happening. He thought God was the source of it, but he still kept his faith in God, so his friends couldn't knock him off his faith. So Satan being, again, a very intelligent individual, he had to go a different route. I want us to notice the second point tonight. Job endured trial by finances. Finances. Job was a very prosperous man, wasn't he? The greatest of all the men in the East, it says. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses. Also, he was rich in servants. Verse 3. Now, we're not specifically told that his riches were a test of his faith, but we know that they were. You might think of his riches as the test before the test. After all, those who are rich are tempted to be high-minded and to trust in uncertain riches rather than in the living God, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. And they are tempted to deny God, Solomon said, Proverbs 30, 17 through 19. Look, there is no doubt that Satan kept a close eye on Job. He watched how Job handled his finances. He watched how Job took care of his riches. He watched to see if Job loved money. Now Satan, not being deity, not being all-knowing, he may have thought that Job loved his money because he simply had so much of it. Have you ever noticed often when someone accuses someone of something, they may be guilty of that same thing? So there's no doubt that if Satan had been in the position of Job, he would have loved that money. So he, no doubt in my mind at least, that he said, I'm going to attack this man. He's got to be weak when it comes to his riches. And we know that he was well aware that his substance had increased. Job 1 verse 10. That's what he told God, right? Look what you've given this man. No wonder he's faithful to you. Take it all away and see what happens, right? If Satan was watching Job, we can rest assured this day he's watching each of us. He's watching us to see how we react to our finances, right? Do we love money? You know, I like to have some money. We have to have it, right? We have to be able to live in this world. But if we love money, we're in trouble, right? We're not doing what he wants us to do. Now, Satan will try to get us to fall in love with it. He'll try to get us to place that before God. He'll try to get us to love the world and all that is in it, 1 John 2, 15-17. But we have to be on guard and we have to persevere. He will try to even convince us we can serve two masters, both God and mammon, right? Both God and material things, Matthew six twenty four. But just like Job, as we watch him endure these trials, we have to persevere. We have to continue. We have to place our trust in God and we have to beware, Luke twelve fifteen of covetousness, realizing that a man's life consisteth not in the things which he possesses. That's not what our life consists of, right? I've read this and I know you've heard it several times, but I just think it is a wonderful statement. How many people have laid on their deathbed saying, boy, I wish I'd spent more time at work 
I wish I'd spent more time away from my family. I wish I'd spent all this stuff. That's not what they think. I wish I'd spent more time with my family. I wish I'd spent more time with God. I wish I had spent more time with my family worshiping God, training my family to be faithful. A dear friend of mine, and I may have mentioned this, died a faithful Christian and grieved for years because his children were not faithful because he did not bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. He became a Christian after they were grown and he never showed any interest in that while they were younger and they had no interest in it when they got grown and it grieved him. He didn't wish he had worked more. He wished he had trained his children better. Satan wants us to fall in love with the world. Since Satan could not get Job to give up his faith because of prosperity, he went in exactly the other direction, didn't he? He said, I can get him with poverty. I can get him with poverty. The wise man warned this, Proverbs 37 through 9. He said, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. He said, Remove far from me vanity and lies. He said, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee. And say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Either extreme can get us, can it? Great riches or great poverty. Many people cannot handle being prosperous and many cannot handle living in poverty. See, we still have to be faithful. Job remained faithful while living in both. He lost it all. Satan took away almost everything that Job possessed. We see that in the first two chapters. I can't imagine how a man could endure that. Did you notice as you read this account of Job that the only time he ever even allowed one of his servants to survive was when he needed that man to deliver bad news to Job? And then he let one live? Each time something bad would happen, his servants would be killed and he'd send one of them alive to tell Job the bad news, hoping he would curse God. After Satan took away his servants, he took away his wealth, he took away his sons and his daughters, all ten of his children were taken from him. I can't imagine that. In a single day. All at one time. It appears to me that he spared Job's wife and, and his friends perhaps to torment him more. I don't know. Not only was he living, living in poverty financially, he was living in poverty as far as his health was concerned, wasn't he? He had lost that too. He didn't have his health any longer. He suffered with boils from the crown of his head to the, to the bottom of his foot. You know, Satan can't attack us in that same way today, but he can certainly attack us. He can cause us to become upset with God because we do not have the financial means that we'd like to have. He can cause us to uh, push God out of our lives when we focus more upon the good finances that we do have, if that happens to be the case. He wants us to deny God and blame Him when we have those financial setbacks. How many of us have had a financial setback or two in our lives, right? He wants us to blame God for that. 
when Satan attacks Job and when or when he attacked Job and when he attacks us, he wants he does it for a reason. He's wanting a result. He's wanting something to happen. He attacked Job with finances. That didn't work, so he had to change focus. He used his friends, he used his finances, and our third point is going to be this. He began to attack his very faith. It's one thing to maintain faith when we kind of understand what's going on, right? When, we, when we're in a situation and we feel like we're, we're kind of on level ground and we're not going one way or the other, that's pretty easy to be faithful when those things happen, right? You're not up, you're not down, you're just kind of on an even keel. Nothing bad is happening, it's just everyday life is going on. We can be faithful. But what about when bad things begin to happen? What about when we become confused and we don't understand why things are taking place? Job was perplexed. He didn't understand why these things had happened to him. He knew he was faithful. He said, I don't know why God's doing this, but I'm still going to trust in Him. There are going to be times in our lives where we simply just do not understand. Why it is happening. But it'll be happening. Bad things happen to good people. But he didn't lose his faith. He continued to trust in God completely, even though Satan at that point in history, he's changed course once again, and he's going to come around and try to attack Job where he thinks he may be weak this time. He continued to trust. I want us to remember the friends of Daniel. You recall when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar had commanded them to bow down before that great and terrible image and, and offer worship when the music sounded. And those three brave young Jewish boys would not do that. Notice Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18. Notice what those young men said. They said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now let's understand what that word careful means. They were not full of care. They were not afraid to answer the great king in this matter. They said, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I think that is very interesting. They said, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, and He will. Now, they didn't intend that they knew for a fact that God would allow them to survive that fiery furnace. But God would still deliver them because through death they would be delivered. If God chose not to save them. Like Job, they were going to serve the Most High God no matter what happened. What a lesson for today. Our prayer was for our country earlier. And we can absolutely be a Christian. We can be Christians and we can be faithful no matter who is holding elected office. God will deliver us. That may not be in this lifetime. But He may deliver us through death. Abraham is another example of a Job-like faith. 
He did not understand exactly how God would fulfill His promise, but He still was going to offer the promised Son. He had faith in God that God would at least bring Isaac back from death, Genesis 22, 1-14. He knew that God had given him the promised Son and that He was that promised Son and that in some way He would keep him. But He didn't know exactly how. Can you imagine how perplexed Abraham must have been? You know, when he told those young men with them, you stay here, me and the lad, we are going to go over yonder and worship. And they took that, what was it, three-day journey up to that point. And all the while, Abraham thinking, I have to offer my son in sacrifice? There's no way he could have understood that. But he trusted in God. Things are going to happen in our lives that we just do not understand. But we have to be faithful. We have to continue to have confidence in the one that saved us from sin, Colossians 1, 13. When Satan could not get Job to sin because of perplexity, he changed course again. He's attacking his faith. And so Job was confused. That didn't work. And so he thought he would see how he could handle a little bit of power. The final test that Job faced was just that. He had some power in the end. Many people can't handle power, right? Many people cannot handle authority. John wrote about such a one as that. Notice 3 John verses 9 through 10. He said, I wrote unto the church, he said, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth. Prating against us with malicious words and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. Paul told Timothy that elders needed to be mature, right? They needed to be, uh, they, they did not need to be a novice. He said, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. 1 Timothy 3 verse 6. When we get a little bit of authority or a little bit of power from time to time, that may affect us, right? But just like the other test, Job came through with flying colors. By the end of the account, Job was vindicated. Now I want us to notice the turn of events. Those who had accused him of these great wrongs were now in debt to him because they needed Job to intercess for them. Because they had sinned. They had to go ask Job. Job, will you offer a sacrifice and prayer on our behalf? Job 42, verses 7 and 8. At that point, he had this power. What would he do? Would he, would he refuse to help them like many would? Would he say, oh, you get, you're getting what you've got coming? He had, he had some power over them. And would he pass the final trial? Sure he did. But you know it must have been very hard from a human standpoint for Job to do that. After having endured for whatever length of time he had endured, having to sit around and, and listen to those men tell him how sinful he was, listen to them tell him how sorry he was and, and that he needed to repent and God, God did not allow things like that to happen to people who were innocent and that his children were sinful. And then he, 
listen to his wife tell him, just curse God and die. It's not even worth the effort any longer. Boy, that keeps you wanting to hang on, doesn't it? Well, he passed that as well because he did just exactly as they asked him to do. And that's what God wanted. See, let's remember, let's go back to Job chapter 1. Satan appeared before God. And he asked him, where have you been? I've been going to and fro. And we know that what he does when he is going to and fro is looking for someone to destroy. And then God said, have you considered my servant Job? God had as much confidence in Job as Job had in God. He knew the man that Job was, just like he knew that Abraham was a man who would guide his family after him and follow after God. He knew that Job would would stand up to the trials and the temptations. It was never about Job, really, was it? It was about hurting God. And Job happened to be, in my mind at least, collateral damage. It was about God's worthiness to be worshipped. And Job proved that he was worthy of worship. Job passed every test. And today, Satan will try our faith. And he'll try it just like he tried Job's faith. He's going to do it in a little different manner. But he's still going to do it. He'll try to use our friends. He'll try to use our finances. And he'll try to attack our faith. And he'll try to get us to sin against God. And he wants us to die in that condition so we can be in hell with him eternally. He does not want to be there alone. And he's not going to be. But the more the merrier as far as Satan is concerned. Right? He wants us all there. He's not going to be happy and He's not going to stop until every last soul of which He can influence is will be in hell eternally. And we want to stop that. But how do we do it? We have to have a faith like Job. We have to believe in God and we have to trust His Word. And when He tells us how to be saved, we need to take Him at His Word. We need to understand that what God says, He means. And He means what He says, right? How do we become Christians? It's a very simple process. Now we can make it difficult when we try to turn it into something else. Faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repentance of past sins. That's simple. Confession that He is the Son of God, that He died on the cross, that He was placed in the tomb. He rose from the dead and He's sitting at the right hand right now reigning over the kingdom of God as we speak. Baptism in water for the remission of sins. Faithful living. You know, our children know how to repeat that, don't they? Well, what if we've done that? What, what if Job had slipped up just a little bit? Could he have still been saved? Sure he could have. All he would have had to have done was repented of those sins, asked God to forgive him, and he would have. And that's what he does for us today. When we lose our footing and we, we step out of the light, and we're not faithful like we ought to be, all we have to do is come back to Him. His arms are open and He wants us. Repent, confess, and, and ask Him to forgive us. If you find yourself in either situation tonight, having or needing to answer the Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.